And welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Travis. I've got my brother Quentin here with me as always. Q, how's it going? Oh, it's going great now, dude. I've been waiting for this day since we started this podcast, dude. I'm so pumped to talk about Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, this is this is going to be a doozy of an episode, dude. I got all sorts of stuff lined up for this. So, yes, uh, today we're talking about Queens of the Stone Age and their 2002 record, Songs for the Deaf, which um, in my book is is one of the greatest rock records of all time. It's one of my favorite... Uh, I mean, like, it's... It, if I were to really sit down and concentrate on like a top 10 records, like that impacted my life, yeah, you know, yeah, this is on that list for sure. Yep. I, yeah, I, I think so too for, for a few reasons. Um, but no, I, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, this was kind of one of my sort of like gateway drugs, if you will, like stepping stones, um, toward becoming like more of a, a, a metal fan, you know? Well, yeah, actually, that's what I was going to say. Like, this is for sure. Would you say that this is the heaviest that you, that you like, you know, because you, you, you've said on the record plenty of times that you're not much of a fan of metal. Right. But there are definitely moments of metal throughout this album, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and this is so, one of those records that you love. So this is 2002. I'm, I'm pretty sure one of us picked this up pretty much like around the time it came out. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so that intro song that we that we played in uh, as track two on this record. This well, that's no, it's the, track. It's track one. It's oh, track that's one. right. That's right. The first, the first one is actually like a hidden track, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. That's the first song that I actually enjoyed where it's predominantly just screaming vocals. Like yeah. I remember that moment because before that, you know, that's something I would just turn off immediately. That's just something that I didn't understand. This yeah. is the first album where I, I started to get into it and like, totally appreciate it the name of that track is you think i ain't worth a dollar but i feel like a millionaire and that's nick oliveri on the vocals who's also the bass player throughout this record and um yeah and what's interesting about this and we'll get into all of this is that prior to the songs starting is that little radio um segment yeah. and that's sort of a theme that that plays throughout this this record 
and there's sort of a um, I have a clip of, of, of Josh explaining the reasoning behind that and we'll play that later but basically this this album is a concept album with that radio um, backing uh, tr- uh, track as sort of like the thread that ties the whole album together um, but anyway we'll get into all that later okay so where do we start like I, I feel like I've got so much to, to, to talk about that I'm that I'm fearful that I'm gonna step out of 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 order here and like jump the gun and get and get let's talk excited. desert rock how about that we'll start there okay so here's the thing I was actually thinking about this next week we're gonna talk about Caius right yeah and that is Josh Holmes band before Queens of the Stone Age okay so it's kind of you know usually we we, we talk about the history of a band or, or a history of the musicians in the band we can't really do that on this episode without just doing next week's episode right okay so we're just gonna we're gonna do a, like a really quick cursory glance at at what was happening before Queens of the Stone Age, and then we'll dive more more into it next week. But basically, what you need to know: Desert Rock is this sort of underground uh, movement of of rock and roll that was happening in the '90s, basically out in the California desert in like Coachella Valley. Uh, Sky Valley. There's even, and that's actually the name of one of the Caius records. It's called Welcome to Sky Valley. And um, anyway, so basically what was happening, these desert communities out in California were kind of like retirement communities, right? So a lot of, you know, older people would come there in, in the winters, you know, and play golf and whatever, right? And so like there were no rock and roll clubs in the desert, it was like, you know, there were some like disco and dance clubs, but there was no rock and roll venues. And so these teenagers uh, would basically sort of as a way to like rebel against um, th- their community, basically, that they were in. They would start to play, uh, you know, form these rock groups and, and play in their garages or, you know, in some instances, just bring a generator into the parking lot and and play a show so like there's a a story um from this band this early desert rock band called solar feast they didn't have any venues to play at and they were they wanted to get out of their garage and so they just took a generator and their amps and their equipment and just set up in this parking lot and like 100 people showed up to hear them play and then the police showed up and stopped them right that's yeah that's really cool yeah i mean it's really it really is like it's it's the sort of the spirit of, of like punk rock. Right. And a lot totally. of this desert rock movement, uh, you know, spawned from fans of punk rock, like the misfits and black flag. Yeah. And so Josh home was part of, part of that, that movement. Right. So he was in, um, this sort of legendary iconic desert rock band called Caius. And we're going to do an episode on them next week. That's going to be our sidetrack. So, We'll leave it at that. But to start on Queens of the Stone Age, or to to get to Queens of the Stone Age, like I said, Caius was Josh Holmes' first band that he formed with other members of the, the desert rock movement. In 1995, the band broke up, and Josh Holmes briefly joined Screaming Trees as a touring guitarist. Oh, sweet. I didn't know that. So that's where the connection to Mark Lanigan comes in. And then he formed a new band called Gamma Ray and they released an EP 
called Gamma Ray. Um, but there was a a power a, a German power metal band called Gamma Ray that threatened to sue them over the name. So in 1997, they changed the name to Queens of the Stone Age. And so there's a really cool quote I got here that's actually from Josh Holm on the name. He says, kings would be too macho. The kings of the Stone Age wear armor and have axes and wrestle. The queens of the Stone Age hang out with the kings of the Stone Age's girlfriends when they wrestle. <laughs> now, here's the important part. He says, rock should be heavy enough for the boys and sweet enough for the girls. That way, everyone's happy and it's more of a party. Kings of the Stone Age is too yep. lopsided. That's awesome. And man. I think that 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 captures the sound of Queens of the Stone Age perfectly. Yeah, it's heavy and sweet, right? Yeah. It's got like you know a lot of the, and you're going to hear that on this record, and throughout the entire Queens of the Stone Age like discography, he's always sort of doing what's not expected with with rock and like sort of flipping rock and roll. Um, on its head, you know, and, and doing things and taking it to places that you that aren't expected. Yeah. Right? Let me let me quote um, someone from Pitchfork real quick that wrote a review on this album when it came out. And they, this he's talking about track one that we introed in with, but it kind of I think it works for the whole album. He says it's riddled with decades old metal cliches, but the queens know what their audience expects, and they use this knowledge to continually twist rock stereotypes into a vicious full Nelson until they beg for mercy. It's fantastic. And this is just the first track decades old cliches. It's like they, they know what they're doing, you know, like it's like they're purposely feeding into these stereotypes. I love it. Yeah, no. And that, that's the thing. And and what that radio, you know, that radio broadcast uh, theme that runs throughout the album, it's supposed to be um, actually, you know what? Let's let, let's let Josh, uh, explain that to us. So we've got a clip here from um, th- there's these videos that are on YouTube that you can find. There's like four of them uh, where it's sort of home videos of the recording sessions, right? So this is Josh sort of explaining the radio thing. It's not to be taken literally unless you're yeah, stupid. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all the drive from Los Angeles to Joshua Tree. And uh, switching stations along the way, listening to listening to the radio. It's it's what our version of the radio should, would sound like. And with three singers and all the different guests and stuff like that, the music's so kind of varied all over the place that it seemed like it needed something to bring it all together. Okay, so there you go. Basically, this is a concept album. Let's say you you're starting in LA. You turn the radio on and you're driving to the desert, Joshua Tree. Yeah. Uh, and this is the radio station uh, that they wish existed, right? But it starts by saying, you know, in that very opening clip, you know, and, and what you'll hear is like throughout the album, it sounds like they're switching the stations, right? Mm. But you start in LA, which is sort of where, you know, the glam metal that, that um, grunge was sort of you know, rebelling against in a way, yeah, right? Right. It started in, in, you know, Sunset Strip and stuff in LA, right? So that's that's called clone radio, right? The the, the DJ... K-L-O-N. Uh, K-L-O-N, clone yeah. radio, right? We sound more like everyone else than yeah, anyone else. That's great. So like there's, you're starting in LA and you're driving into the desert and, you're, and the music is, is taking you there. So let's, um, before we play the first clip, 
there was a a article that I I read from Spin called "Gone with the Flow." It's basically a review of uh, the album ten years later, and this guy does a perfect job painting a picture of the landscape in rock and roll in two thousand two. Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park. Oh God. Weathered by Creed. Silver Side Up by Nickelback. Oh, Jesus. Let Go by Avril Lavigne. Right? So that's what's dominating the charts in 2002. Man. But then he also did a great job sort of talking about the flip side. And this is the kind of stuff that we were into. Interpol, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, The Hives, The Flaming Lips, Wilco, and The White Stripes. They're all putting out music around the same time. So, like, rock and roll really was this, like, I think we've said it before. It's like, you know. It was a really interesting time for you, for you and I to be listening to to rock music because there was, it was sort of like the last hurrah of, yeah. of rock music uh, yeah, in the like mainstream, a, like a little like a resurgence of like the garage rock sound. Yeah, in a lot of ways. yeah. But Queens of the Stone Age, like, it's like this record fits. It's almost per, like it's just perfect to to just insert itself into this landscape because the way that they sort of flipped rock and roll stereotypes on its head and how heavy it was. I mean, the fact that an album like this with like, they had three singles on this record. No one knows first it giveth and go with the flow. The fact that no one knows got radio play and had a a MTV music video. It's such a heavy song. Yeah. You know, go with the the fact that a song big too. I remember the music video for that one. Yeah. They're like driving through the desert. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, all right, so let's let's name the roster off real quick. There's actually quite a bit of of musicians that 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 play a part in this record. Yeah, um, and that was kind of part of it, and that's what he was saying. What Josh was saying in that little um, interview clip where he yeah, was saying that's, that, that's smart of them to do that to kind of tie it all together because it does almost sound like different bands throughout the album. Yeah, and it it, it really does sound like you're you're and there's so many different sounds and like songs yeah. song styles on this record that it yeah. does sound like you're flipping the dial on a radio station right but um the main players are josh Hom, obviously vocals guitar nick Oliveri, who sings on you think i ain't worth a dollar but i feel like a millionaire he also sings on six shooter so he's he the one with the, on, he just fucking belts the, belts out the screams yeah, but he's got this really interesting um, dichotomy because he does the, sh- the the screaming like that, but then he also he sings lead vocals on "Gonna Leave You" oh, and cool. another love song. Yeah, nice. So he's actually got a really decent singing voice. Uh, but anyway, uh, he's also the bass player, and then you've got, of course. Now we haven't even mentioned this yet. One of the greatest parts of this record is that you've got Dave Grohl behind oh, the yeah. drum kit, and I guess we can get into the story behind that in a little bit if you want. So obviously, I don't think we need to explain this, but Dave Grohl is, of course, frontman of of Foo Fighters and the drummer for Nirvana. Yeah. If you don't know that, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> and then Mark Lanigan on vocals. And if you don't know who Mark Lanigan is, we actually did a sidetrack episode on him. That was the the sidetrack to our Foo Fighters episode early on. Early, so if you want to go back, like two years ago. Uh, yeah, almost. So, yeah. So, so Mark Lanigan was was the lead singer for Screaming Trees. They were a band out of Seattle, and he also does right. his own solo stuff now. Yeah. So as we mentioned, Josh Holm was the uh, a touring guitar player for Screaming T- Trees briefly before. 
forming Queens of Stone Age. So that's how that that uh, partnership came up. There's a ton of other musicians that that uh, that show up on this record, and I'll sort of shout them out with the songs that we play. But anyway, um, let's get to the first song, and um, it's actually the perfect song for us to play um, for our first clip because it's Mark Lanigan singing, and it's got I think some of Dave Grohl's best drumming on the record as well. Oh yeah. Uh, so this song is called Song for the Dead, and it's track four. And we're going to sort of chop this up a little bit and play a few clips. But um, let's play the very first part of this and maybe into the first verse and chorus, and then we'll, we'll stop. So the drumming intro is an homage to a Black Flag song called Slip It In. And I actually want to play it real quick here because I think you're going to okay. find it interesting. But it's it's hard to say if, if this was Josh Holm or Dave Grohl that sort of wanted to, to slip this in, if you will. Oh, man. But, uh, <laughs> but I know that Josh Holm was a Black Flag fan um, when he was growing up, so it may have been him. But let's, let's play it. This is from... Their 1984 album of the same name. So let's just play this real quick. Hey, Mama. Come on. Come on. I don't know. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Dude, I yeah, bet, I love I bet that, Dave right? was a, a Black Flag fan as well. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. But anyway, that comes back in the outro too, so we'll hear it again. All right, so let's play the next clip um, from this song. But before we do that, I want to play another clip from the recording sessions from, from those that sort of home video footage that you can find on YouTube. And it's it's really it's really cool that this was captured on film because it's it's all four of the guys sort of doing the song as in like you know so Nick Oliveri, Josh Holm, Mark Lanning, and Dave Grohl they're recording the the, the song and Josh Holm is, is sort of explaining to Grohl like how he wants this certain drum fill to sound and um, it's just it's really cool so let's let's play that first two verses there's two times that that we'll kind of meet to do yeah uh, and the first one it alternates the first one's like a fall apart one that's like yeah like a bonehead one and then the next one's a, a little bit more focused one like a like a do your thing peeps like But try to use less finesse. Like even if it slows it down, it's just... <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. You know what I mean? To make it fucked up sound? Yeah, like... Uh... See, it's hard but, because... Uh, oh, oh. But more like no wrist, like... But, uh, oh, oh. You know what I mean? Just... Yeah, like... Uh... And then we do it on the fourth line, uh, or after the fourth line, to bring in the next chorus. Okay. So it's on I'll the one and on the sixth one. Okay. And that one's a focus one. Eight of just kind of jamming around. <coughs> and then it goes back to four that kind of rope it in again. One is a fucked up one. Right. And then from there it alternates. You should, okay, you should so say when you're going to, when you're... Uh, cueing them, just say fucked up or uh, focus. Fucked or up or focused. Okay. Cool. All right, let's just go through it. <laughs> yeah, how cool is that, right? Because it's it's kind of it's kind of funny to think of of Josh Holm telling Dave Grohl how he should play drums, yeah. right? But I mean, yeah. you know. He's he's basically saying, hey, you know, Dave, be sloppy. Be sloppy for this. Just for this one part, yeah. you know, because, and what you'll hear throughout the song, you'll hear it in the next clip, these really sweet little guitar fills and drum fills that happen after almost every verse or every part of Mark sings, and then they do this little fill. And one of them is sort of more, this sort of sloppy thing that he's talking about. Or fucked up, as they said. Yeah. And they sort of alternate between fucked up or focused, as they say. Um, but anyway, he was basically trying to get Dave Grohl to like not be less precise. Yeah. You know, it's probably really hard to tell Dave Grohl to be less precise because he's such a precision like machine drummer. You know. <laughs> yeah. Really. Especially on this record, and you'll hear it on the the very end of the song. But he's saying like use less wrists. You know, like just be sloppy with yeah. it and Dave was like struggling with it you'll <laughs> yeah. we'll put the video we'll, we'll put the video on the um on our show notes page on the website um but it's really really cool to see that you know because how often do you get to see 
a band you know during the recording session you know right like, like working out the kinks. talk and collaborate and say like hey yeah. you know just yell fucked up or focused you know yeah so we can know which one to do like it's just really cool to hear that kind of stuff yeah. all right so anyway now that we've heard that um let's play our second clip for song for the dead and this is going to play from the guitar solo to the end of the song I mean, my heart. It's like you got to get up and, and take a break, like walk around, you know, and like <laughs> take a breather from from the assault, uh, you know. Man, that gets me every time, dude. That drum solo at the end, unbelievable. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, what I like about that at the very end, where there's sort of that, you know. There, 
the, the outro of the song, right? Like you said, the sort of that black flag drum beat mm-hmm. again, right? Yeah. Where they where they stop, and then you actually can hear Dave Grohl say, "Hey," and then they come back. Yeah, in. he does a little uh, the little uh, like floor tom fill. But I love I just love that you can hear Dave Grohl's voice for just a split second. Totally. I think he does he does backing vocals on some other tracks, but like I wonder if he's doing some of the oohs and ahs in the background throughout that song. You know, like the kind of ghoulish sounding it's like possible. Ah. Yeah. Um I like that part in the song. He he's just listed as as backing vocals. Mm-hmm. Um you don't really know where they they don't list the specific tracks, but I mean, I have no reason to... Yeah, it probably is him. Uh, anyway, so those little guitar fills throughout the whole song are, you know... Th- there's one in particular that happens in that second clip that we played that, like, I just... I love it every oh, time. Oh, me it too, man. But, Let's play it again. I know exactly what it is. I was looking at the time stamp. Do you really know exactly? Well, dude, it's my favorite, too. All right. It's around here. That one? Yeah, dude, that's Cheers. the one. <laughs> so good yeah yeah um anyway you just get these sweet little tiny little bite-sized licks like that just throughout the whole song is that and all then, josh like, or, or is the other yeah dudes? it's all josh okay it, it's all josh now when they tour they have another guy that plays with them but gotcha um anyway and that guitar solo itself is just amazing so um josh home has this very very distinct guitar style guitar sound and so there's this really cool video series uh that vice put together called guitar moves hosted by a guy a guy named matt sweeney who's actually worked with with josh uh, on some queen stuff before but anyway he has this series called guitar moves where he interviews guitar players and he did oh, an episode I've seen that, a few of those yeah they're great yeah they're awesome so he does an episode with josh and uh man if you're a guitar player you've got to watch it because Josh goes through quite a bit of um, like his technique and like how he got his sound. Uh, and he starts off by saying that, well, Matt, Matt asks him, Hey, you know, like, did you take guitar lessons when you were a kid or, or what? And he said that he, um, there was basically the only guy in the desert that taught guitar uh, was a polka music uh, no instructor. So Josh's first, guitar lessons were um, from a, a polka guitar instructor, polka guy. So he learned the polka, you know, the, the sort of that, that, that polka, distinct polka, polka rhythm. Polka. Right. Exactly. Anyway. Um, but he took some, some things away from that. Um, but let's play track one or clip one from this interview. Um, but it's just Josh talking about sort of uh, how he, plays chords and what he does in particular with his chord playing and one i'll say one of the things that tom polanski the guy's name was uh-huh. i don't know people used to call these ramones chords these just the two Bar fingers chords, yeah but i i i never learned that way it was always right. all the way across all the time always in major i started picking up you know the octave finger You hear it ringing. Yeah, yeah. 
But I started to say, wow, this could be my thing. This because, could... And again, and that's a subtractive move. You're taking out a note of the chord. Basically, most of my playing is about taking something away. So right there, what he said, um, most of my playing is about taking something away. Uh, he goes on in, in this interview to talk about how he sort of takes the blues scale and adjusts it slightly um, by taking away a note from it. So that's how he gets sort of this, um, you know, like I said earlier, like what he what he's done and what he made a thing of doing was taking sort of the expected rock or blues uh you know, structures or sounds or whatever, and, and just like taking away something from them to make them sort of like this, like off kilter, not what you expect sound. Right. Yeah. I like it. It's that's Queens of the stone age, man. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of the, the whole, the whole thing with this, with this album and, and just the, the, the sound of, of the band, you know? All right. So before we play the next song from this album, uh, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. So we're going to go to the very next track after Song for the Dead. Um, and I think this will kind of showcase the varying sounds of this band, right? Because that was that's one of the heaviest songs on, on the record, Song for the Dead. Uh, but it plays right into this next track, like, beautifully. Uh, this one is called The Sky is Fallen.
Okay, so um, you know, with those those uh, those back backing vocals that kind of start the song off, you know, I feel uh, you know, I feel like something. Uh, there's something about the Queens of the Stone Age music, and it's it's true on almost every record. Like you, you almost feel like you're you're in this like. I don't know, like this fun house or something like that, you know, or like yeah. this weird, like, like dream state maybe. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. No, fun house is a good way to, to describe it. And that, and that yeah. kind of, that kind of backing, you know, ooze and ahs were, were in song for the dead too. Right. But anyway, um, that's Josh Holmes singing and, um, coming straight off of the Mark Lanigan vocals from song for the dead. Like it really is. It showcases how how this record goes from heavy to soft, just like what he was saying with like rock should be quote heavy enough for the boys and sweet enough for the girls, right? Yeah, dude. And then the the next song is Six Shooter, right? And then followed by Hanging Tree, which is another Mark Lanigan song. Yeah, so man. it's like that. You know that that is what makes Queens of the Stone Age so unique. You know, and like such a such it always a, feels like a collective, and it's always been a collective. Yeah, and I know on uh, "Lullabies to Paralyze," the next album isn't Billy Gibbons on there. Wow, it's funny you should mention Billy Gibbons too, because <laughs> um, I've got another clip from that interview he did with the Guitar Moves guy. Um, let's play the the next clip from this song, and then and then I'm going to play another snippet from that interview uh, where where Josh talks about. Anyway, I'll explain it later. But let's hear the guitar solo um, through the end of the song. And then I want to hear, let's play um, literally to the end of the song so we can hear another segment of that that radio. Okay, can uh, I can you listen plays, to right? a six-shooter, dude? Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. We can <laughs> right. listen to six-shooter. Good, I feel like listening um, to it, man. It's whew, makes you want to punch a wall or something. Well, yeah, let's, all right, so this will be a lengthy clip, but we'll go from the rest of this track into the radio interlude, which plays into Six Shooter. As Josh was saying, like, that's, that's the whole idea behind this album. Yeah. Is that. It's like you're flipping through stations. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's pick back up where we left off. Close 
109. We spoil music for everyone. Shut up, you little brat. Oh, KRDL, the girdle. Elastic ass with you here in Chino Hills, the last frontier. That's where we're at. Huh, word, K-O-O-L. You know what it spells, and you know how we do. Live and direct coming at you from the middle of nowhere. The center of everywhere. You gotta check this band, Queens of the Stone Age. If you're not knowing, I'm here to let you know. I'm giving you my stamp of approval, you know what I'm saying? So pick this up. <laughs> and we're gonna spell the music for you. This is a uh, millionaire, Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, a song about something they'll never be. <laughs> Okay, so um, you heard like three DJs there, kind of like as as they're you know switching through the the, the stations. Uh, the first guy who who said he was uh, DJ Elastic Ass of Curdle <laughs> One Hundred and Nine was actually the voice of uh, Chris Goss, which was one of the uh, producers on the record. Oh, cool! But uh, he also did backing vocals on track five, which is what we just played. He did backing vocals on Sky Has Fallen. I like I like uh, it was anyway. called a curdle. We spoiled yeah. music for everyone or whatever, like spoiled milk. Yeah, exactly. And then the guy that said um, all death metal all the time. Yeah. Some guy named Casey Chaos, who is a uh, just a just another like a punk rock musician. So yeah, these guys that did these little radio spots were all are all like musicians or like you know players from the from the, the Josh home, you know, circle or whatever. But anyway, um, yeah. So he says all death metal all the time. And then it transitions into a song called six shooter where they're talking about death and killing and shooting. Right. So that was obviously on purpose. Right. But anyway, Nick Oliveri, as we mentioned before, is the bass player throughout the record, but he also shows up as the vocalist on f- four tracks one of which was this one that we just played a snippet of six shooter where he's doing sort of that death metal scream. Right. But he also shows up later on the record singing in a sort of his normal singing voice. Um, so it's interesting to hear. I don't think we're going to actually play any of his, his normal singing voice, quote unquote, but anyway. All right. So before we play our next song, um, cause you had mentioned Billy Gibbons earlier. Um, let me play another clip from this interview. Um, a couple of clips. 
Okay, so he is talking about sort of some of his early influences, one of them being uh, Billy Gibbons and then the other being Jimi Hendrix. And he, he shows this really interesting sort of the difference between the two and how they would play the same kind of um, bend. Like, you know, when you bend a string, Q, did I lose you? Or? I know. I know. Yes, dude. I'm All well right. aware of bending strings on guitars. Okay. Anyway, I think this is really, really interesting. <laughs> I've never once heard of a guitar. <laughs> What's a guitar? That's... <laughs> Uh, so what, what now? All right, play, play the second clip. Hendrix and Gibbons had this thing that I noticed that were backwards of each other. One of the reasons I really want to jam with Billy is I was like, you have to show me what it is. It's more than that. What is this? Because he would always be playing, he would go. Right. You know, right. And I w but I was like, that's not it, right. you know? And it was this. Oh, he does that move? Not only does he do that move, he does a single tap. You know, he was like, oh, let me show us that. <laughs> you know, and it was this. Oh, I see. And, and, but he'd be ripping through this thing and just do that in the middle of it. <laughs> and when he showed me, I literally was like, you fucking kidding me, that's it? Where I least would expect it, it's a tap. Right, right, right. A tap is considered vulgar. For, for blues, yeah, certainly, yeah. you know. Yeah. Okay, so because you couldn't see it, basically what he's doing is he's bending the string up and then tapping with one finger, you know, like a couple frets higher to get that higher note, right? Hmm. So that's all I need to explain on that. And then we'll play the next clip here. And he's going to talk about how Jimi Hendrix would do the same thing and how he would approach it a little bit differently. What was the other bend? Well, but so the Hendrix bend is... This, it's, it's this backwards... It's like if you're already up, and but oh, you don't okay. let it. You're bending up from this side. Are they the exact same thing, or are they polar opposites? No, but they work the same function. One guy goes, hey, do, and the other one goes, hey, do. Right. You know? <laughs> it was this moment where I was like, I'm going to make these part of my thing, too, you know? <laughs> Man, I was, I was enjoying his uh, guitar voice there. Hey, do. Dude, you can hear that in in uh, Song for the Dead. You can hear those guitar moves. Right, right. But but what's interesting is like when he was vocalizing it there at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sings like that too sometimes. Like that, yeah, you know, that's sort of, that's he's true. done that vocally too. But anyway, that combined with the earlier clip where he was talking about how he subtracts notes from the blues scale and stuff like that. And yeah. Chords. It's showing you how like, what makes Josh Holmes such a such a unique guitar player and such a great musician is like how he sort of took and combined different like just he's literally just talking about one one little style or technique from Billy Gibbons and Jimi Hendrix but how he sort of grabbed both of them and, and has used them you know and he didn't he didn't work with Billy Gibbons until like you said um, until Lullabies for Paralyzed so that was after this record but um and that dude and that's that's what makes music so great man always just pulling from the past and, and making something new with it okay so let's let's go to the next track um something about this record and i've, I've heard a couple of people like sort of mention this how like there's the first half of the record and then there's the second half right 
And there's like these three songs and on the second half, Go With The Flow, which is a single, yeah. Gonna Leave You, and Do It Again, which are almost more like poppy rock songs, if you will. More like traditional sounding rock songs. And I, mean, I think that's yeah, kind of interesting. Like the four on the floor drum beat too. Like there's nothing. Yeah. Nothing yeah. And if you're fancy about it, if you're, if you're driving from, from LA to the desert and you're switching stations, like you're going to, you're going to hear some, some more straightforward rock stuff. Right. And maybe yeah. that's the idea behind these songs. Uh, but anyway, like when I think about the great tracks on this record, these three don't ever really come up in my head, Same. but I wanted to showcase sort of, I wanted to showcase one of those songs just so we can hear it. And I think this is a great song. I think do it again is a great song. This one's more like a, almost like an arena rock song with the, with the shouts in the background. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm not a big fan of it, but let's, let's give it a listen. But here's the thing though. I think there's a really interesting sort of like interlude, like change that happens okay. in the middle of the song. So we'll hear that too. But yeah, let's just, let's play the song. So this is called do it again. Yeah. 
Okay, so like, like a, you know, it's a pretty straightforward rock song, but it's still got that Queen's flair to it because it's Josh doing his, his really cool, like when his voice gets a little bit higher, right? But it's yeah. cool, right? I like it. And I feel like I might be hearing some Dave Grohl harmonies with him in that one. Sure, yeah. But yeah, to your point, like in the very beginning, we're like, hey, yeah, it almost sounds like like that freaking song, man. Hey, but that you know that could that could very well be on purpose. Yeah, totally. Anyway, so like I said, there's nothing wrong with that song. I think it's actually a it's a it showcases just how like varied this album is. So there's actually a um, I got a quote here from from Dave or not Dave from Josh. He says. I've been thinking of this album since the first album, meaning the first Queens album, not necessarily the radio thing, but to me, that isn't the full concept. The full concept is the diversity of it all. I think we're supposed to be pushing buttons over the three records. I've always looked at our first three records as a set. The first one was to distance ourselves from Caius. The second album fanned out the music into different areas. And this one takes that out even a little further. So there you go. That's basically saying like, that's, you know, that's the whole point. Like the fact that Queens of the Stone Age has always been sort of this like collective, you know? Yeah. That's what I like about this stuff. Yeah. You know? that And that, it, it, that's why, that's why the records always sound so, so different. Doesn't Eagle, um, Eagles of Death Metal fit in here somewhere? Aren't they all in the same crew? I mean, it's the same crew. Yeah. I mean, that's same, one same of Josh's guys. side projects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I th- it, it mainly just him and, and, and that other guy. Um, yeah, if you don't know, Josh ha- has got several side projects that, that he kind of ducks in and out of. Uh, one of them being um, another side project he did with Dave Grohl called Dim Cricket Vultures, where he um, it was him, Dave Grohl, and John Paul Jones, the bass player for Led Zeppelin. Um, so yeah, he's just one of those kind of like Dave, where he's just this like this this. He's always doing something, you know. Yeah. He's always got a side project going on. Uh, he, he he's just a, I don't know, man. The guy's a legend. You totally. Know? Uh, anyway, we got one more one more song here. I think this is another one of my favorite tracks. If not, it, it could be my favorite. This track might be mine too, man. There's just something so about this song. The funny thing is, "Song for the Dead" and "Song for the Deaf" are probably my two favorite songs on the record. Yeah. So uh, we played Song for the Dead earlier. That was Mark Lanigan singing, and it was the heavy, really aggressive song. This last one, Song for the Deaf, has sort of got that same, like, that vibe that Sky Has Fallen had, where it's kind of like this, like, funhouse kind of thing, like this kind of almost, like, creepy. Anyway, let's give let's give it a listen. This is Song for the Deaf. It's essentially, it's basically... It seems to me like the album is basically leading up to this song. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the the, la- the very last song of the album, Mosquito Song, is sort of like this. It's almost like a bonus track. I mean, it's not really, but it's like it's so different from the rest of the album that, you know, you could almost say that the songs for the deaf, like, tour that you've been on, like as you're driving through the desert, ends at Song for the Deaf, you know? So anyway, um, here we go. This is Song for the Deaf. A Song for the Deaf. That is for you. Mm-hmm. 
man, dude. Oh, it's so good, man. Right at the beginning, too, that that little like intro. A song for the deaf. That is for you. Creepy as fuck. It's 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 sort of like this this like this caretaker that's kind of bringing you into the song dude i mean imagine if you're on your way to the desert and it's like you know past past midnight or something you're flipping through the radio and 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 that voice is in your your car speakers and then this song like like, what's what the fuck's happening (laughs) yeah it's it really is is the lyrics for me really yeah it's it's like i said it's it's almost like a um like the the doorman at some creepy hotel or something like that or or like at the gates of hell who's like showing you into the door like here you go you know come come this way you know yeah um but yeah it, the guitar fill right right between guitar fill um do you know what that is oh so like like a like a drum fill exactly like a, yeah pretty much okay but no that little riff that 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 happens in between the verse there i just love that you know are you talking about yeah exactly that pull off and pull on thing going on um it's fucking amazing right yeah i wouldn't uh, i had never heard that called a a guitar fill but i like that yeah dude i love that fucking that part yeah yeah it's great and the 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 tone and and uh like distortion that he has on that yeah and we'll talk about uh, man it's almost like you're you're planted you know <laughs> what because did I just tease about... up? Yes, but we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll get back to the the distortion okay. later. But let's play the second clip. Let's. So that was the first verse. I, I know we said earlier that you have to hear the whole song, but it's a long song. So we're gonna skip over the second verse and okay. go straight to the middle, and then play the rest of the song out because that's when it that that's my favorite part of the song. One of my favorite parts of the whole record is this interlude that happens. So we're gonna we're gonna listen to that and then we're gonna play the rest of the song.
High Desert Wonder Valley favorite radio station. It's been a good night. Dave Catching here. Not saying good night. Just saying. So there you go. We've reached the desert, dude. We made it. That's right. And th- that's what I'm saying. Like this, this is basically the the end of that that concept of driving to the desert from L.A. Um, what an awesome record, man. Yeah, it's just it's one of those those um those moments in rock and and like i said the fact that it came out in 2002 amongst that landscape that we talked about earlier. avril lavigne nickelback white stripes. i feel like yeah yeah and, and that's the thing it's like white stripes is, is 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 great yeah right yeah but it seems to me like queens of stone age was almost like this like shot in the arm for rock as far as like hey you know we can remember like we can still be like heavy, you know what I mean? Like we could still do this heavier stuff because like I said, this stuff was, you know, they made videos for some of these songs. Like they got tons of radio play, which is ironic, right? Because they're sort of making fun of mainstream radio, but they were on the radio too with like, no one knows, you know? Sure. Sure. Uh, So anyway, um, like I said, I love that, that, that middle part there where he's, I think it's Mark Lanigan saying whatever that line is. Yeah. Halo around my neck is pulling out every stitch or something like that. Oh, it's great. It's great. Halo around, around my neck would be a a noose, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Not a halo, like an angel halo. No. All right. So one more thing here. One more little, um, there's a video that, um, sound on sound did, where they interviewed Eric Valentine, who was the producer of the record. And he sort of sets up and talks about how they got the sound for like the guitars, the guitar sound on this record. And it's basically, it takes place in the same studio that they recorded the album in. And he's got an amp set up and some mics and stuff. And he's, he's talking about how they got the sound. One of the things that he said sort of a signature to, to the sound, at least on this record for Josh is mid range is basically boosted on everything. He said, amp pedal EQ, it's all got the mid range boosted way up, which kind of contributes to that sound. And, uh, he said that they, they went to like a secondhand store and bought, as he said, the shittiest stuff that they had. So like old amp heads, um, and incorporated them into the process because they said that they didn't want to get, as he said, sort of the typical Les Paul through a Marshall 
amp guitar sound. Yeah. Uh, like the typical rock sound. They're going for something a little bit different, and they wanted to make these older amps like sort of work, uh, pushing them pushing them to their limit, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, all right. So I've got uh, a clip from him sort of talking about um, how they set up these mics and how they sort of got got the sound out of these amps. There were um, times where there's just an insane amount of microphones going on, and I was just putting mics in different places to try and pull sound out of these amps that weren't particularly hi-fi or explosive sounding by themselves, but with enough manipulation, you could get something to happen. And so right now, in front of this cabinet, this is a little uh, 410 cabinet. It's um, uh, an Ampeg cabinet. I have a, a C37A right here that's sort of in the middle, and then this weird salt shaker mic right next to it. And uh, they have two very, very different qualities to them. The C37A, as co tube condensers go, is a much kind of smoother, warmer, full-bodied sounding condenser mic. And that little salt shaker mic is one of the brightest, most aggressive mics you'd ever hear in your life. And so you can sort of blend them, and we do that at times to, to just be able to easily choose how forward do we want the sound to be or how sort of dark and, um, and smooth do we want it to be by blending those two mics. So then there's another mic hiding in the back here, this um, Sennheiser 441 that's uh, getting the backside of the cabinet, which gets a huge amount of low end. And so you can use that to almost add another octave to the low resonance of, of the guitar sound. And then to still uh, deal with the low end and try and help bring in the resonance of the room and have your, your ear be more tuned into the space that the amp was in, I have this uh, RCA 44 just kind of over in the corner. It's, it's down low, so it tends to pick up more of the lower resonances in the room, stuffed off in a corner, again, sort of accentuating the, lo the low frequencies. And so you can blend that in so you just, you can feel the air moving in the room more and uh, pull out more of the sort of dark low end of, of the amp. And so all of these would get mixed together in the control room. So that's like four microphones. Um, well, uh, it's three microphones on the, on the amp, the bass amp. Um, and then one other microphone sort of in the middle of the room that was just there to pick up the sounds of the room, you know, yeah. like the ambient sounds of the room and stuff like yeah. that. But I thought it was interesting that he was, he was saying that, you know, he, he's got this microphone that, that's more like, you know, full bodied, as he said, and like picks up like more smooth, smooth sounds next to this salt shaker mic, as he called it, which was more like really bright and aggressive. And that, I mean, that sort of sums up the record, right? Oh, yeah. In a way. So, totally. like, it's interesting that they had both of those on the amp, and he would be able to sort of adjust from from song to song or whatever to, to, to pull out one or the other microphone more so, depending on what the song needed, you know? And another note, he says later on in the interview about how they got distortion, because, I mean, this, this album is, is nothing but distortion, right? He says that, um, actually, you know what? Play, play the second clip. The, the idea was to get the distortion from the amps. Um, so there was, it was very rare to, to actually use a pedal um, as the sort of main source of distortion on, uh, on that project. And it was, just, um, it was just part of the aesthetic of the, of the record is to, to just push the amps to make them um, saturate and overdrive and sometimes using smaller amps and really pushing them to the, their absolute limit you know so things just sound like they're about to blow up and, and break down was um, 
is, uh, I think, part of the, uh, the aesthetic of the record. Uh, so this, this pedal helps do that. Um, you, can, uh, uh, you can hear the difference. I'll turn it on and off here. So again, we had the, the setup with um, you know, the Ampeg B15 uh, head, a little uh, Ampeg um, 410 cabinet. Uh, there's an MXR pedal out there that's boosting mid-range, both uh, 250 hertz and uh, 500 hertz. Um, and then this is boosting even more mid-range and adding level going into the amp. And so, so that, that's without the pedal. That's with the pedal. So um, that's doing a lot of the work uh, on this thing. Instead of using the traditional method of like just using a distortion pedal, they wanted to get distortion from the amp itself or from cranking up the volume on 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 like a uh, EQ pedal or something like that. So anyway, uh, again, that sort of plays into the into how Josh wants to sort of do the unexpected, you know, where you're you're getting you're you're, you're doing sort of these traditional rock things like, hey, here's a blue scale with some notes taken away, or hey, here's some distortion, but I'm getting it from a different way, you know, or like, yeah, it's a, it's not a guitar amp. It's a, it's a bass amp. And that actually, it goes back to the, like I said, the desert, the desert rock days. And we'll talk about it all that next week when we talk about Caius. Dude. And that's kind of like, that's what kind of gives you that fun house vibe. Cause you're like, you walk into a, uh, a room with mirrors but they're not normal mirrors you know yeah it's not what it, things aren't as they seem like this sounds kind of like blues but something's off right exactly it, and that's that's how he's he's sort of always kind of approached how he makes music for queens of the stone age like that's kind of his whole thing it's know? really cool yeah i'm into it all right so anyway um that wraps up our our, our coverage of songs for the deaf. Uh, one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah. It's up there for um, me too, man. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's one of those records that, um, is like one of those pivotal like records for me, you know, yeah. as far as like, I remember, and, and I love, um, yeah, I mentioned that, that article from spin that I read where the guy was sort of looking back on it at the 10 year anniversary. Mm. So he, he has a, a sentence in here where he says, I clearly remember listening to the album at maximum volume on my disc man, punishing my eardrums in awe of this band. I did the exact same thing, man. I remember, I don't know if it was a disc man or a Walkman or something like that, but I, I remember having the CD through our little portable CD player before mp3 players were a thing really man i hated those and, things dude trying to walk around with that shit like clipped onto your freaking yeah, jeans or it, whatever. it would always it would always skip yeah you know too but anyway i remember listening to this record and just being like just like in awe like just like this yeah. guy said so yeah dude it's cool having that having that connection with with um with with people like that you know totally but anyway um uh yeah I mean, this is this goes without saying, but especially for this album because it's a concept album that's meant to be played from start to finish. But push play on track one. T t yeah, take take a ride from L.A. to the desert. Yeah, if you're in 
If you're in California, and I'm in metaphor, go to LA. But, but hell yeah, if you're in if you if you're in California, Dude, you're, do it. No, nah, see, here's the problem though. I don't know if you could get to the desert in that amount of time. Now that's you want to talk about if they really thought it through. Hey, yeah. you know what? We could figure that out pretty quickly. Look at look Hold up on. the duration. Let me do it right now. All right, I'll I'll find the duration of the album for you. It is okay. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Well, come on, now. maybe. Okay, the length no. of of this album is sixty minutes fifty three seconds. How long does it take to get to the desert? You're going to have to play the record twice because <laughs> it takes two hours and sixteen minutes to drive from L.A. to Joshua Tree. But hey, you know what? Whatever. Come on, Josh. They didn't. didn't they fucked up. <laughs> well, I'm never listening to this album again. I'm just kidding. Yeah. They. Well, not everything can be perfect. <laughs> this was the beginning of our metal month, in a way. So next week, we're going to talk about Caius. And then we're going to start off October. I guess we'll, we will be in October by then, won't we? Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, so Caius is going to start us off, and then we're going to... I don't know if we've spilled beans yet. Nah. What, what, we're, what we're planning on doing, but we, we, we've we at least told you that October is going to be a metal month, so strap in and get ready, because we're going we're gonna to bounce around. We're going to talk about a lot of different metal bands. I'm excited, man. And it's going to be great, man. Yeah. I'm finally going to... By the time when November comes around, Q, you're going to be a metalhead. That's a guarantee. So, uh, Crash Course, huh? like, can you really turn someone into a metalhead in just one month? We'll find out. All right. Uh, I, I don't want to call it a Crash Course because it's not like we're going to be going from like the origins of metal up to like now or whatever. Like we're we're bouncing around. We're going all over. But the hey, you're you, you're sharing some of your faves. Yes. Yes. Um, and um, Caius is one of those one of those bands too that um. When I first heard them, I was like, God damn, if Josh Holm isn't fucking the bee's knees, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. this is where he started out, man. Yeah. And he, the, the, the I'm riffs. Exci- dude, on I'm this, excited to hear that. I haven't listened to any of that. Dude, get ready. <laughs> this is where we have typically done our, our what you heards, but I think we're going to skip it today because this was such a lengthy episode. I had a lot of stuff to play. So Yeah, dude, this is going to be a doozy. Yeah. All right, so then next week we'll be jamming out to some Kais. Uh, until then, uh, hop on to PantheonPodcasts.com. Uh, you can find us on that website, uh, along with a bunch of other great music podcasts that are in our network. Um, there you can follow links to get to our actual website, NoFillerPodcast.com where we have all of our show notes for each of our episodes. Uh, this one's going to be full of great clips, uh, video clips um, that we played today. And uh, yeah, you got something, Travis? All right. So um, to play us out, I wanted to actually showcase a little bit of, um, not that you didn't get to hear it on the clips we played, but um, there's a couple of tracks on this record that, that really, uh, it starts out with like this, but like Nick Oliveri on the bass, like just comes right at you on some of these songs. Like at the forefront, that's why I wanted to to play uh, "Hanging Tree" to, to yeah. close us out, just to just so you can hear more of Nick Oliveri and Mark Lanigan um, and how they contributed to this record. So anyway, 
Uh, we're going to close out with Hanging Tree. And that's going to be it for this week. Uh, again, as Quentin said, uh, check out pantheonpodcast.com where you can find a link to our website. And next week, we'll talk about Caius. That'll do it. Uh, my name is Travis. And I'm Quentin. We'll see y'all next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.